0: Uh, My name is Fred Schmidt, uh, one of the pastors here at Hillcrest. And as Tyler mentioned, uh, happy Father's Day to uh, fathers out there. It's kind of fun having my own dad uh, in the audience today. And uh, so this is a day that uh, many of us celebrate for good reasons. Uh, And we also want to acknowledge that this is a difficult day for some as well. Uh, It could be a, a day of sadness, a day of loss, um, maybe some of you have, have lost your father. Uh, maybe some of you did not have a good role model of a father growing up. Um, maybe some of you are even fathers who have lost uh, a child or, or children. And, uh, and some of you are, are fathers who want to be fathers in the worst way and uh, going through these difficult struggles of, of uh, waiting for that pregnancy or waiting for that adoption. And so we just want to acknowledge uh, everyone today, wherever you're approaching this day from, uh, in your experiences and your background. And one of the things I'm really thankful for in that is that today we are going to focus our attention to our Heavenly Father. Uh, again, a place where we can celebrate, or a place where maybe we are experiencing loss, but we can find comfort. In our Heavenly Father. We're beginning our uh, summer sermon series, say that 10 times fast sometimes, uh, called Together We Believe. And over the summer, we're going to be looking at 12 different areas of crucial doctrine and to go into God's Word and find out what are the truths that we believe and how do these unify us as Hillcrest Bible Church uh, together. So today we're going to consider the God we worship, engaging our limited minds towards an unlimited God. So let me ask you this, what comes to mind when you think about God? Is he real? How powerful is he? How much does he know? How much... Does God love you? David mentioned this quote last week from A.W. Tozer. Uh, He he wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And one of the things that's really crucial about when we think about God is that we are basing those thoughts on truth. Truth. And so that's part of what we're gonna do today. My goal this morning is not to like philosophically and logically prove all of these truths about God. I'm not that smart. But what I do want to do is, is engage our minds in what we know to be truth, to help build that foundation about what we believe about God when God comes into our minds. And in that process, to awaken our hearts to experience and express our lives in a way based on these truths that we know. To to bring more understanding about God, more awe, more wonder, more faith, more praise, and more glory to God in that process. So we have a, a long and and uh, really kind of meaty, big idea today that we're going to walk through step by step. So here is our big idea. We believe in one God, creator of all things, visible and invisible, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his glory. Wow, there's a lot there. So remember, we're gonna walk through this kind of step-by-step this morning. And this is more of a a flyover rather than an in-depth uh, really deep study on any one of these topics. In fact, by the nature of who God is, some of the things we're going to touch on today will actually be covering in greater depth later this summer as we unpack these 12 different uh, doctrines that we're going to be looking at. I've also uh, listed a few suggestions for you in your notes. If you do want to spend some time reading or studying deeper in this, uh, there's a couple of books to read, and I even include a couple of uh, systematic theology books that are, you know, that thick. If you really want to dive in to uh, learn more about this, I encourage you uh, to do that. All right, so here we go this morning. Uh, we're going to begin with we believe in one God. One God. God, by his nature, cannot share his deity. He is supreme. There's a passage that Moses was trying to to teach God's people about this. And um, he said this to the people, "Did, Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? And he's referring to a time when God revealed his presence through the fire above Mount Horeb. Or has God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God There is no other besides him. So there is one God. And this one God is creator of all things visible and invisible. We've got the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I just, I love the magnificence of this earth, just all the beauty of of nature, the artistry of God's preachers, the vast expanse of the the sky, the the stars. I love looking out at the faces to appreciate the, the beauty of humanity. It's so hard to believe that that some people think that this is all here by chance and by time. My love for science began in uh, high school, uh, specifically in my biology class, very specifically during the frog dissection unit. Mom and dad, I don't know if you remember, but I brought my frog home with me and wanted to work on it more at the kitchen table, kept it in the fridge for safekeeping but that just opened up this love for science that when I went to college, I continued to study things like, like biology and anatomy and biochemistry, but but not on the kind of the macro level, but on the micro level down to what happens in the cells and the chemical reactions in our bodies. Oh, the the marvel again, the intricacy, the complexity of life. Of what God has created. I cannot help but as I look in, in nature and creation around us, as I look into your faces, as I look into just these things that we can't see with the naked eye going on in our bodies, I can't but help see the very fingerprints of God all over the place. We're actually going to look at this deeper in two weeks as we look at the creator of creation. So we believe in one God who is the creator of all things, visible and invisible, and who is holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a lot here in this section. And, and remember, I'm trying to engage our limited minds towards an unlimited God. And not only that, but we got to talk about the Trinity here in just a minute to try to figure that out. But let's start with God being holy and infinitely perfect. The word holy means to be set apart and separated from something. And in this case, we're talking about God being being set apart and separated completely from sin. Craig, I remember, I don't know if it was a year ago, two years ago, but you really impacted me as you led worship one Sunday. You talked about how in the Bible we see the, the writers and, and the speakers um, that when they really want to emphasize something, sometimes they'll say the same word twice. I mean, we do that in our human language when we, t- we talk about something that's really, really cool. Or as Jesus would say, you know, truly, truly, I say to you, and you know that something good is coming up next. But Craig, as you led worship that day, you talked about the scene in heaven of the four creatures who never cease to proclaim God's holiness, where they not once, not twice, but three times They proclaim his holiness as they cry out day and night. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is that, holy. God is also eternal. God was not made or created. God just simply exists. I love this interchange between Moses and and God. This comes right in the context of the burning bush where where God reveals himself to Moses and gives Moses his marching orders to go back and and bring Israel out of Egypt. And and Moses asks God, well, what is your name? What what do I tell the people is your name? And God just says, uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That's God's name, I am. God simply and powerfully is. In fact, back at that that scene in heaven where the four living creatures are proclaiming God's holiness, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was And who is and who is to come. God is holy and God is eternal. We believe in one God, creator of all things, visible and invisible, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we have one God in three persons. Not one God as three gods. One God as three persons, this Trinity. And I don't know if you've heard, there have been many different like analogies tossed around that, that people use to try to explain the Trinity in a way that might actually make sense to us but each of those analogies just falls short in some way. And so I found a really good informational and educational video I'd like to share with you that that will help to explain this to us.
1: Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time, so try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are
2: uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick.
1: Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could
2: you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like, uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor.
1: That's modalism, Patrick! What? Mortalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick. Okay, uh, then the
2: Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick.
1: Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick.
2: are the worst,
1: Patrick.
2: All right, sorry. The Trinity is like uh, this three-leaf
1: clover here. I'm going to stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism, a heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine.
2: All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an app. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is is one, equal in glory,
1: co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick.
0: So from the lips of St. Patrick, maybe a little bit of help in understanding the complexity of the Trinity. And I don't have an analogy that's going to explain it perfectly, but I do have this graphic that, that might just help a little bit to, to, to remind us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each fully and completely God, equally divine, yet they are not identical to one another. All have existed together in eternity past. in this triune relationship is so important because it reflects personal and perfect love and unity in the three persons together. As you read the Scriptures, you'll see the Trinity popping up all over the place, how the three persons work together. And I I don't have time to share the Scriptures around. Uh, I've got a couple of examples for you. But all three persons were involved in creation. Creation. All three persons were involved in, are involved in redemption, in in redeeming and purchasing our souls to save us from the punishment of our sin. All three persons are involved in baptism. As Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All three persons of the Trinity are involved in prayer. As we pray to the Father with the help of the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us on our behalf in the name of Jesus the Son. And friends, the Trinity is absolutely central to our faith. If Jesus is not fully God, then his humility in coming from heaven down to earth is incomplete. If Jesus is not God, then his sinless life is impossible. If Jesus is not God, his sacrifice for our sins and our redemption is insufficient. If Jesus is not God, then our joy is not full. If the Holy Spirit is not God, then the new birth falls short. If the Holy Spirit is not God, then the inspiration, the the words on the page that were breathed out by God and the illumination of the Bible, our understanding of the Scriptures are inaccurate. If, If the Holy Spirit is not God, and if the Holy Spirit is not God, then the words of the prophets of the Bible will not stand the test of time. The Trinity is absolutely central to our faith, which is why stay tuned for later this summer as we learn more about Jesus as the Messiah we follow and about the Holy Spirit as the spirit we embrace. All right, our big idea continues. It says, Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power. This is talking about uh, the divine attributes of, of omniscience and omnipotence. God being all-knowing and all-powerful. God knows all things. God has no need to learn. In fact, he has never learned and he cannot learn. Nothing has ever surprised God. And God is omnipotent, having this sovereign power and rule in and over all things. I love this passage. These are the words of of an enlightened and a humbled King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. I have to go back and read that to, to understand the context of his experience. But God humbled him and enlightened him, and this was his response about God. He says, His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he, God, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? And so, in the context of having this limitless knowledge and this sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself. You see, the the birth of evil and the fall of man did not surprise God. He always knew And he always had a plan to reveal himself to to his chosen people in a way that not only provides us the benefit of being saved from his perfect judgment and his perfect wrath against our sin, and a plan that not only reconciles us with God and grants us eternal life in heaven... But a plan that that even more so God designed to bring glory back to himself as a big part of his plan helps us to understand even more about who he is, about his, his perfect mercy and his perfect love, his perfect grace, his perfect forgiveness and redemption and righteousness and holiness that we can experience through faith in Christ. This, my friends, is the gospel we proclaim. And again, we will talk about that more later this summer. And having this limitless knowledge, this sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity to redeem a people for himself and to make all things new. The Apostle John was given a real gift of a vision to see into God's plan for the future. And we read about that in the book of Revelation at the end of our Bible. And here's a glimpse that John shares with us. This is in Revelation 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This glimpse into God's future plan Describes the end of evil and sin and suffering and death. And a return to what Adam and Eve enjoyed at the beginning. This unencumbered, uninhibited, undivided fellowship and presence with God. And this scene of all things new again, the end of suffering and pain and death, that is the object of our hope during times when we suffer. That is our inheritance in Christ. Sorry, guys, I'm trying not to move my head. And again, later on this summer, we're going to cover more in depth these last things as we look at this future that we anticipate. So i got one more point to make out of this big idea, and I'm going to start from the beginning and read all the way through. And as you engage your mind in these truths, allow it to awaken your heart in a way that is compatible and is appropriate to the truths that we're learning. We believe in one God, creator of all things, visible and invisible, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Having limitless knowledge and sovereign power, God has graciously purposed from eternity To redeem a people for himself and to make all things new for his own glory. This word glory is really important. It means to give honor and respect and praise and adoration towards someone. In this case, us giving glory to God. That, that's, that's part of why God created us, and I think that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 10, where he simply writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And as we've talked about the Trinity today, I'm gonna to give you one, one maybe aspect of the Trinity to give some insight in terms of God's glory we see God's glory in the Trinity as the Trinity actually brings mutual glory from one person to the other in that triune relationship. Let me show you. In John chapter 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, when the spirit of truth comes, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see the Spirit will glorify the Son. And then Jesus, in John chapter 17, he is actually praying to the Father. He says to the Father, I glorified you on earth, the Son bringing glory to the Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So there's this shared and mutual glory being given by persons of the Trinity to other persons of the Trinity. And it's in this context that that Jesus prays actually for us. Later on in John chapter 17, And Jesus prays to the Father, I do not ask for these only, talking about the disciples of that day, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for us because we have believed through the words of the disciples. And Jesus prays that they, us, may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Watch this. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And loved them even as you loved me. So, so, not only do we see this mutual glory being shared in the context of the persons of the Trinity, but in this passage, Jesus now has given to us the glory that he received from the Father. So that we would become perfectly united as one, just as the Father and the Son are one. And inside that unity, which is the main reason that we're taking this summer to go through these these critical doctrines so that we can be unified around these truths, In our unity, we not only give glory back to God, but we also then display His glory to the world around us. And we do that so that the world may know that the Father has sent His Son. And so that the world may know that the Father loves them in the same way that the Father loves his one and only Son. And so, friends, God is and does for his own glory. And incredibly, we are part of that. God has shared his glory with us. So that we can bring glory to Him and so that we can share His glory with others around us, so that they in turn can bring glory to God and share God's glory with others around them. A couple of takeaways before we jump back into an extended time of worship through music and singing. The first is, is this, we are putting together a weekly podcast over the summer called This is Hillcrest. And it's going to correspond with each of these doctrines that we're examining over this summer sermon series. And uh, this first one is going to be this Wednesday about God. In fact, our own Ryan Horsberger is going to be sharing his experience and his passion around God. And so look for the link or information in the the Wednesday e-news email that you will get and then subscribe to that podcast week after week as we hear stories from our own people uh, throughout the summer. So encourage you to check that out. The rest of these takeaways are are kind of reflection questions that I want to throw out at you based on this concept of, of how do we engage our mind? How do we think about God? What do we base our thoughts on? And then how does that affect our hearts in how we live out and experience our lives? So, uh, second takeaway. What comes to mind when you think about God? Same question I asked at the beginning. Has anything changed for you in the last 30 minutes as we've been digging into God's word to, to really focus in on these truths about who God is? Third, We've talked about the Trinity. And here's a question for you. As as you reflect on this complexity of the Trinity, what does that do to your mind? Does your mind kind of turn off in in frustration that you can't explain it or you can't figure it out? Leaving you with a, a, a disinterested or a disbelieving heart about who God is? Or as you engage your mind about the Trinity, does it awaken your heart to say, you know what, Lord, (laughs) it's okay if I don't understand you in my limited mind. But instead, I'm going to allow my heart to turn towards you in wonder and mystery and awe. to just praise you for your power and your love and the unity that we see in who you are. Let me ask you this, number four. How is your mind engaged and your heart awakened knowing that the eternal, one true God, creator of all things seen and unseen, created you. And he knows when you sit and when you stand. He knows what you will say even before you think it. This creator of all things holds you in his right hand. He formed your inward parts and he knit you together in your mother's womb. This God who created all things, visible and invisible, (laughs) even knows the number of hairs on your head and the number of your days written in his book. What does that do to your heart? Number five, let me ask you this. When you suffer, we just spent nine months through the book of First Peter where this theme of suffering kept coming up over and over and over. When you suffer, does your mind believe that God doesn't care about you? Does your mind believe that God is not capable of helping you? Does your mind believe that God just has it in for you and just wants to punish you all the time? And does that dampen your heart and, and, and put your heart to focus on your circumstances and your suffering and yourself? Or, in the midst of suffering, as we look at these truths about who God is and his, his amazing plan for us, Does your mind awaken to find hope in God's limitless knowledge, in his sovereign power, and in this hope that one day all things will be made new? And as you engage your mind on these truths about who God is, and as your heart awakens to respond to those truths, Who is someone around you who needs to see God's presence in your life and God's glory in your life so that they may know that God the Father sent his Son and loves them as he loves his Son? So this week as you read your Bible and in the weeks ahead as we look at all these these fundamental doctrines of our faith, continue to engage your mind and awaken your heart to express these truths in our lives so that the world may know and see God in you. Let's do this. Let's stand together as we engage in an extended time of Worshiping God for who he is, for what he has done, and how that can be expressed in our faith in our lives. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your creation and are in awe of your holiness and your knowledge and your power in and over all things. We ask for the Holy Spirit to intercede for us as we pray. And we thank you for having a plan to redeem us, to save us, and for the hope that we have in our inheritance of one day all things new. We sing to you now, our Father, declaring what we together, what we believe to be true, as you alone are worthy of such praise and honor, and glory, and adoration. And Father, we lift our prayer to you, we sing our voices together to you in the strong and precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.